Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you here. I mentioned in the first service that this is like the perfect storm kind of Sunday of reasons and excuses why not to be in church, right? So you've got the first weekend of spring break, and a lot of, a lot of families are gone, and they're traveling and doing some things. You've got, you know, you might have noticed, but it's a little, little cloudy and, and, a, and a smidge windy outside, maybe Maybe uh, you thought, you know, this would be a good Sunday just to stay in bed. or, And then it's time change Sunday, right, where you lose an hour of sleep. And if you're not aware of that, there's a good chance you think you're at the 830 service. <laughs> but you're not. You're at the 10 o'clock. And we are glad that you're here. So you guys have beaten the odds. Congratulations. You made it to church. And we are glad you've chosen to join us this morning at the Vista. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 once again. Ephesians 6, where uh, my goal today is to wrap up, put a bow on our series that we've been in for the last five Sundays called The Fight. We are um, unpacking um, the last part of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, where he talks about this spiritual armor that we're to put on. Um, and in way of reminding you of some things we've talked about, five weeks ago we launched into this, and I said, you know, we follow Jesus. We're followers of Christ. And Jesus was someone who walked in uh, humility. And then we're told to walk in humility. He taught about meekness. One of the Beatitudes is blessed are the meek. And we're to be, um, we're to be people that are known for, for meekness. And he said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. And so he taught these very countercultural things. And what can happen is uh, there may be some ideas then that in light of that, that Christians are to be people that are really rather weak, rather passive um, individuals. And that's sort of how we're to go through life. But Paul reminds the church in Ephesus that there is a very real battle. There's a very real fight. And we need to be prepared for that fight or we're in a lot of trouble. That we need to be, we need to be ready to stand firm, as he says. That in, in this fight, we are not to be weak. We're not to be passive in any way, form, or fashion. And then if we are, we're in a lot of danger. We're in a lot of trouble. So the good news in this battle is that we're not left to our own devices. God has given us some tools and some resources that we can put on for, for the battle. And that's what we've been unpacking for the last five weeks is this armor of God that we as the followers of Christ are to, are to strap on in order to be ready for the fight. And I mentioned, of course, that the key to this battle is knowing who our enemy is. That's where we were in week one. We talked about the fact that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not other people. We don't battle other people. We don't fight other people. Our enemy is against the enemy, and that is Satan. That is spiritual forces um, in the heavenlies, as Paul's going to say. And so um, what I want to do today is kind of wrap up, specifically kind of hone in on verses 18, 19, and 20. And Paul's going to talk about one other aspect to the fight that we need to be, um, we need to be engaged in. We need to be continuing and constant in. And so um, I'll read Ephesians 6, and I'll begin in verse 10. That's our, been our text for the last, uh, the last five weeks. And then we'll get to the last part of that. So verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, Paul writes, then praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So this week, as we wrap up this series, um, Paul is talking about the subject of prayer. In verse 18, he's talking about prayer as this other sort of weapon that we can use in the fight. And, and prayer is uh, really, really important to the fight. In fact, if you remember in verse 10, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. So our strength is not our own. Our strength comes from him, right? And if we try to go into this fight, this spiritual battle, um, just in our own strength and in our own might, we have a formidable enemy and we will lose every time. We might do okay for a while, but in our own strength, we're going to fail. In our flesh, we're going to fail. And so when we fight this spiritual fight, we need to do so in the strength of the Lord. And it's almost like Paul begins there, and then in the end, in verse 18, he's reminding us that our dependence in this fight is on God, that we are in full submission to him, and our dependence is on, is on the Lord. That's what we do in prayer. We're reminded that, that we can't do it on our own, and so we need someone else. And prayer is this all-pervasive thing that we're to do. John MacArthur, I think, says it well. He he puts it this way, I have a quote. He says, prayer is the air that we must breathe as we put on all the other armor, right? As we're strapping on the armor of God, prayer is this constant thing in our lives that, that we do regularly and consistently and continually. Prayer is so important. In fact, um, what I want to use as kind of the outline is talking about prayer is verse 18. You'll notice in verse 18 that four times in that one verse, Paul uses the, the Greek word pas, P-A-S, all, all, four different times, all, 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 all. It's this idea that prayer uh, is to be all-encompassing, it's to be pervasive. It's, it's not like many religions of the world and the way Judaism was and the way many religions are still today, that prayer is this thing you do um, at particular times of the day or, or um, you, certain words that you say or, or uh, certain postures in which you're to pray. no. Prayer is all-pervasive. It's, it's constant. It's continual. And that's what, that's what the very first all in verse 18, he says, praying at all times. Praying at all times. It's not just supposed to be this thing you do uh, maybe in the morning or, or just at night before you go to bed. But for the believer, for Christians, prayer is more all-encompassing than that. In fact, I'll show you a few passages where Paul uh, addresses this very thing. In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul writes, Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So continue in prayer. Philippians 4, verse 6 is a familiar verse to many of you. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Right? So in everything we're to pray. And then a really popular verse on prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, simply says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. 
So for the believer, it's not like many religions of the world where we say, okay, you pray at this particular time every day, you pray in this particular posture every day, you use these specific prayers or these specific words all the time. No, no, Paul's going to say for us, prayer is this constant, continual thing that we are to do. In other words, we're to live our lives in a constant state of awareness of God's presence, that as his children, we can go to him anytime. There is not a bad time to pray, right? I mean... Paul's going Paul's to say this over and over in a lot of his letters to a lot of the churches. This idea of prayer ought to pervade all of our lives and all that we are. And what that means for you and me is this. If I'm going throughout my day and I see something good, something wonderful, something great, my response then is to go to God with a prayer of thanksgiving and praise and adoration, right? That when I'm going through my day and I see a need, I see some hurt, some brokenness and the need there. My, my attitude is not, well, you know, I, I sure hope that works out for them. No, I go to God and I pray for them. I lift them up. If I see injustice and evil, I go to the Lord and I pray that God makes it right. If I see sin and evil and wickedness, I go to the Lord and I pray about that. In fact, if I see that in my own heart and in my own life, I go and I pray a prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance. There's all different ways, but at the end of the day, it's, it's as we go throughout our day, that's how we pray without ceasing. And as I said, there's, there's not a bad time to pray. Listen, you can pray while you're driving. I recommend keeping your eyes open, but you can pray while you're driving. You can pray at any point, at any time during the day. That's what Paul's trying to get across to the church, that prayer is this thing that ought to pervade all of our lives. It's not to be relegated to this, um, this religious thing you do once a day. Listen, if you have a time of the day that, that you pray uh, regularly, that's, that's fine. We're not, that's not a bad thing. If you have a list of prayer requests that you jot down and you roll through the, the list, that is fine. That's a, that's a, that's a great thing to do. But, but Paul's saying that prayer for the believer ought to be more than that. It ought to be more than just that. So he's going to say pray continually, pray constantly, pray without ceasing, pray in everything, in all circumstances. That's the first all that he uses there. Pray at all times. The second all then, he says then to pray with all prayer and supplication. So that's speaking to different kinds, different types of prayer. Do you know there are different kinds, different types of prayer? I mentioned some of them a minute ago. Prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of petition and request. Prayers for provision. Uh, there's, there, there's, there's prayers of repentance and confession. There's all different types, all different kinds of prayer. In fact, to show this, look with me, if you would, at probably what is the most popular prayer in all of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 6, it's known as the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Matthew 6, this is where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. They want to know how they can pray, and, and so Jesus is going to give them some instruction here on how to pray. And so the Lord's Prayer, again, probably the most popular prayer ever prayed, the most popular prayer um, that many of you even have it memorized, it's noted for a few things. The first thing I would call your attention to, though, is that before Jesus teaches in these brief verses on prayer, he, he basically tells them what not to pray or how not to pray. He's going to say that there are some things we should not do in prayer, like he's going to say, you don't, don't be like the hypocrites who, who love to pray for the attention that they get from prayer. Like, we don't pray so people will look at us and go, man, they are unbelievably holy and pious and really close to God. That, that's not a reason to pray. He's going to say we don't, we don't heap up empty words or phrases. We don't try to use really big, theologically deep words to sound really, really smart. 
We don't recite prayers like just mantras where we just, we're just saying things that don't really have any meaning or purpose. And so Jesus is going to instruct on prayer, but he's going to say, here's what not to do in prayer. And then he gets into the Lord's Prayer, which again is noted, number one, for its brevity. I love that. This is Jesus telling us how to pray, and it's not this long, lengthy, drawn-out prayer. It's, it's actually quite short. It's quite short. But the other thing that I noticed about the Lord's Prayer is that within this prayer, in, in just a few verses, there are all different kinds or types of prayer in here. Let's, let's look at it. First of all, it begins in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So right there is a prayer of worship and adoration and praise. Holy is your name. You're declaring the worth of the Lord. It's a, it's a prayer of praise and adoration and worship. The next line, verse 10 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, Lord, your will. That's a way that we should pray, in the will of God. That's what Paul means in Ephesians 6 when he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit, again, that's praying in harmony with the Holy Spirit. Praying in harmony with the will of the Lord. And so um, this is the way Jesus prayed, and it's the way he taught us to pray, that we seek the will of God in our prayers. So maybe you're not aware of this, but when you end your prayer in Jesus' name, um, that's not the magic words you use to get God to do what you want, by the way, right? When you pray in Jesus' name, what you're saying is, God, um, whatever I've just prayed, let that be in your name. Let that be in your will. Let that be what you want. And if not, I don't want it. I don't want it, right? In Jesus' name means um, the will of the Lord according to what God wants for you, right? And that's the way Jesus taught us to pray. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. There's a prayer for provision. God, would you provide? Would you sustain? Would you give me what I need, right? That's a, that's a, that's a way to pray. It's an appropriate way to pray. Verse 12, prayer of confession. He says, and forgive us our debts or sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so, again, I mentioned prayers of confession, prayers of repentance, Verse, um, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a prayer for prevention and protection. God, would you direct my steps? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you prevent me from falling into sin? So within the Lord's prayer that's very, very brief, there's also all these different types and kinds of prayer in that. So when Paul says back in Ephesians 6 that we're to pray at all times, with all prayer and supplication, there's all different types, all different kinds, that we don't just pray one particular type of prayer, that we pray all kinds of prayers. That our prayer life is, again, it's this fully submersive thing that we do. So first of all, um, Ephesians 6, we pray at all times. Secondly, we pray with all prayer and supplication. And then the third all that he uses here, he says to uh, keep alert with all perseverance all perseverance this speaks to the manner in which we pray so we pray with perseverance we pray with persistence in other words we don't just pray one time for something and go well i mean maybe god didn't hear me i mean i prayed for it and it didn't happen so no we are to persist in prayer we're to persevere in prayer that's the that's that's what he's saying that that we continue steadfastly in prayer we don't just sort of throw in the towel and give up on prayer if we deem that this particular thing wasn't responded to. This is a, a, a really teaching of Christ as well. In fact, um, there's a parable in Luke chapter 18. If you want to turn there, you can. We'll, we'll throw it up here. But in Luke 18, there's a parable of the persistent widow. 
And, and the, the point of the parable um, was to talk about persistence, perseverance in prayer. So Luke 18, verse 1, and he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So um, it's interesting that in a lot of the parables that you read about, Jesus tells a parable and then uh, he goes back and, and unpacks it or explains it a little bit, a little bit later. I mean, sometimes that's, that's kind of the way that it, that it often worked. Tell a parable, people didn't understand what he was talking about. Sometimes his disciples didn't understand what he was talking about, so he might go back and explain it. But in this parable, he tells you what it's about before he even tells the, the parable, right? The, the parable is explained by, by the author here. He says, look, about to tell a parable, and it's basically about prayer and how you ought to always pray and not lose heart. And this is the way the parable goes. Verse 2, he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So here's the picture. You have an ungodly judge. A judge that is, doesn't care about man, doesn't respect God, I mean, doesn't, uh, doesn't love this lady in any way, form, or fashion, could care less about her. And you have a lady that comes to this judge, and she's asking for something good and right. She's not coming going, you know, make me healthy, make me wealthy. She's not like some selfish prayer request. Um, no, she's coming with a very good request. She's seeking justice against her adversary. And the lesson here is that there's this evil, wicked judge that basically as she continues to persist and bother is the word used, he finally relents and goes, fine, you know, here you go, so, so, so you'll quit bothering me, I'll give you what you're asking for. Now, what, what's happening here is God is not the evil, wicked judge. Don't read into the parable that God is the evil, wicked judge. In fact, he's going to say just the opposite. Verse 6, and the Lord said, Hear what the, what the unrighteous judge says in verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So here's what he's saying. There's an evil, wicked judge over here, and the, and the persistent widow just kept bothering and bothering and bothering, and finally he was like, fine. He's going to say, as opposed to that judge, the opposite of that judge is God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and cares about us. And if the evil, wicked judge will give in, how much more will a God who loves you as his child listen to your request? The lesson of the parable is persistence. It's perseverance in prayer. That when I have a, a lost friend or family member or someone in my life, I don't pray for them one time and go, well, I mean, I prayed for them. I hope it works out. No, I'm to persist. I'm to persist in prayer. I continue to pray for them. I continue to lift them up. I seek the will of the Lord, but we are to persist in our prayers. And that's what Paul's saying back in Ephesians chapter 6. He's telling us that we're in this fight, right? We put on the armor of God, and sometimes there's days where the fight is really, really difficult and really, really hard, and we're bombarded on all sides and we're tempted and we can easily despair, but he's saying, no, no, we persist in prayer. We continue in prayer. So we pray at all times. We pray with all kinds, all types of prayer, and then we pray with all perseverance and all persistence. Then the final all that he mentions here is we pray for all the saints. He tells us 
one of the things that we're to be praying for is brothers and sisters in Christ that are in this fight along with us, right? So, I mean, this is sort of a a basic tenet of Christianity that we don't just kind of look out for ourselves, but we're to look out for others. I said early on in the series that, remember, this fight is not an individual fight. He's writing to the church. Paul's writing to a group of believers. He says that our enemy is not flesh and blood, like we fight. And so, again, there's this, this corporate thing that's going on here that we fight alongside of other people. And so, now he's saying that one of the things we should be praying for are those other people around us. In fact, one page over to the right in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for other people. Maybe you're going through a season where the fight for you right now is not that difficult. Praise Jesus for that. But there may be someone right next to you who is really in a difficult season of the fight. They need your prayers. They need your support. There may be a time where, where, where they're having it a little bit easier, but you're being bombarded. You know, you, you, need, you need their prayers. And so the, the idea here that Paul's saying is we're a family, we're the church, and we pray for one another, we lift one another up. We don't just focus on our needs and our fight. We focus on the fight. We focus on everybody else around us. So we pray... At all times, we pray with all types and kinds of prayer. We pray with all perseverance and persistence, and we pray for all of the saints. And then, really quick, verses 19 and 20, then Paul also says, pray for me. Pray for me also. So I'll take this opportunity to say this, that part of praying for the church, I would encourage you to pray for your, the, the leaders, pray for the spiritual leaders in your life, Pray for your pastors, your staff. Pray for our elders. I'll be the first to admit and confess, I need your prayers. Like, we, we, we need those things, right? So, part of praying for the saints, praying for your church, pray for the leaders. That's what Paul asked for prayer here. But, but here's what I want you to notice that, you know, Paul was a man who had been through the ringer.